Mark chapter 10, begin at verse 13, read down to verse 16. We stand in honor of God's word, our customs, even to this day. And we see someone that we want to honor come in. We stand. That's part of what we, while we stand, we read the Bible. It is a reminder that this is not the word of man, that it is in fact the word of God. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 13, just a few verses. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked him. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus and by your spirit to you, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. We need help. Father, I pray that your spirit would minister to the hearts of those that feel estranged or hurt or, or are in sin. God, I pray that you would bring flourishing. I pray that the joy of the Lord would return. I pray that your word would have its intended effect, that you would ignite a heart to put faith in you. Lord, I pray that maybe for the first time in years, you would take hold of someone's heart, that they might sense your presence, know that they are loved. So we ask you to show yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the most basic form of government and the keystone of any healthy society is the family. The family. If you back up a little bit in chapter 10 of Mark, if you were here last week, we talked about verses 1 through 12. It's a long passage. And if you read it for the first pass, you might think this is about divorce. But really, when you hear what Jesus says, he talks about the goodness of God in creating people male and female and bringing a man and a woman together from creation in marriage and how marriage is a creation from God and given to us for human flourishing. And he talks about the coming together of a man and a woman. It makes sense then that after that conversation, he then turns his attention to children and the attention that should be given to getting those children into the kingdom of God. And in this passage, what Jesus does is he takes a real life event, something that happened. He takes a real life event and he turns that event into a teaching moment. He doesn't just teach about children. Don't stop there. In this passage, Jesus teaches us what it means to actually have saving faith. To put your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and trust that that alone will save you. That means that this story uh, is true on two levels. 
One level has to do with the children and the priority of doing everything that we can, everything that you can to get those who you are responsible for to the Lord Jesus. That is one rail of this story. There's another rail or level. The second level has to do with saving faith. What does it look like? What is the faith necessary to actually become a Christian? Now, this is a really well-known passage here. You don't really have to be much of a Christian to even know this passage. You know the song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, probably comes from this passage, and it's true that Jesus does, but there's got to be more to it than that. I've been trying to get at it all week long. If you're a Sunday school teacher or preacher or you deal with teaching the Bible, you, you understand that sometimes the most familiar passages hold these truths that are just really hard to get to. So I started looking at the people in it. Well, who are the people in this passage? Verse 13 to 16, there are four major players in this drama. And we're all here in this drama. It opens up and there are the parents. So the parents, you have the, the parents, those that are responsible. They're trying to get their kids to Jesus. Then you've got the disciples. They're sort of the boneheads in the story. They're trying to keep the parents from getting the, the kids to Jesus. And then, of course, there is Jesus, who's at the center of this. And then there's the children. And what we want to do is make sure that we keep Jesus right in the middle where he belongs, and build a sermon that reflects the passage when Mark is telling us about children trying to get to Jesus. What does it actually mean to get to Jesus? To be welcomed into the kingdom of God. And what are the lessons that we will walk away with today? Because... I'll make this the theme. Here's the, you want to know what the point of the sermon is? Here it is. Knowing Jesus is the one thing that really matters. Amen. Knowing Jesus, the one thing that really matters. Let's start with the parents where the text starts in verse 13. I'll try to make it as uh, plain as possible. Here's the first point, number one. Parents, get your kids to Jesus. See it there, verse 13, see it. Look what Mark tells us, verse 13. And they, who is the they? They were bringing the children to him that he might touch them. Who is the they? Moms and dads, could be a single mom, could be a single dad. Could be the two together. It could be aunts and uncles. It could be an older brother or a sister. It could be grandparents, a grandmother or a grandfather. Basically, Anyone who has responsibility or, or maybe you don't have direct responsibility, anyone that has influence over a child, taking that child to Jesus. Let's set the scene. What is going on in the scene? The scene seems to be that they know that there is a great man that has come into the village and this great man might be able to depart a blessing. So let's get the kids, gather them up. Let's get the kids close to this great man so that at least this great man can touch the children. 
Because it's been rumored that this man, when he touches people, they are healed or there's some sort of power or they, they receive a blessing. And the, and the kids can't get there themselves. somebody got to take them. Somebody has to have the wherewithal to get up or to sacrifice what you would rather be doing and get the kids to Jesus. Also, it's written, verse 13, in an imperfect tense. What that means is, is this is not a one-off event, not a one-time thing. It is, you could read it like this, they kept on bringing the kids to Jesus. They kept on bringing the kids to Jesus. Let's see if we can make some application. So you read it, talk about it. How does it apply? Maybe you have a child that likes sports and you take that child to a sporting event and you, there you get to meet a famous athlete. By some miracle, when you meet that athlete, that athlete signs a jersey and gives it to the child. Or maybe yours is not, they're not into athletics. Maybe you're reading books. Hey, you're Harry Potter and you go to some Harry Potter event. Or Star Wars, maybe that's your thing. Or, or that purgatory called Disney, maybe that's where you go. <laughs> or whatever the vacation is, whatever the vacation is. What do you do? You save and you plan and you put it on the calendar and you make arrangements. You make sure the pets are taken care of. You do all you can because you know that's going to be something great. It becomes an event. Brothers and sisters, someone 10 million times greater than any athlete or actor or Taylor Swift is here. Get your kids to Jesus. If it means changing your job, if it means rearranging your schedule, if it means missing a recital, skipping a ball game, get your kids to Jesus. Look at me, the world is harsh. The devil is real. Dangers are looming. Time is short. Get your kids to Jesus. They can't get there on their own. For a lot of you, you feel that. God has given you, grandparents, God has given you a heart to do it. God has given you the means to accomplish it. God has given you the opportunity to meet him. Look, you come to Jesus, you won't have to wait in line. He will not sign a jersey. He's going to do something infinitely better. 10,000 times greater. Do you, know the, do you know the phrase, the great exchange the great exchange i would write that down in the margin somewhere maybe a notebook if you have it the great exchange let me explain it to you just briefly it's the gospel the great exchange is the bible says that that our righteousness what we do even on our best day filthy rags the problem of being covered with filthy rags our own righteousness is that god is a great king and he doesn't receive filthy rags people covered in filthy rags he only receives those with the right garments. And there's only one that has the right garment. His name is Jesus. The way he got it, he lived perfectly. Let's not go to the cross yet. Jesus lived perfectly, keeping all of God's law. He did that as a human, as a man. And when he goes to the cross, what he does is, he not only did he keep God's law, earning righteousness as a man, at the cross, he then takes the wrath of God so all the sins of every sinner that will ever be saved, Jesus paid for them. He takes the punishment. And the exchange is, 
He takes your punishment and gives you his righteousness so that you're not covered in your filthy rags. You are covered with the righteousness of Jesus. It's better than any signed jersey you'll ever get. And our responsibility, you got kids, people you have influence over, our responsibility isn't to save people. Look, for those of you that have wayward children, I want you to listen, you, and you tried hard, you've been praying for them, you loved them, and every chance you could, you made sure they heard the gospel, you did it at home, you had devotions, you prayed for them at night, get them to church so they could be under Bible preaching and in student programs, and they're still gone. That's not your job. Your job is, like these parents right here, get them to Jesus. You get them there. The touching, God will do that. The touching, Christ will do that in his own time. Right? What does verse 13 tell us? They were bringing their children to him. What for? That he might touch them. You leave the saving, you leave the saving to the kind mercy of Jesus. You just get your kids to Jesus. Who is it? Who, who do you have influence over? I mean, not directly, indirectly. Who, who is it that God has put in your mind and heart that you need to get them to Jesus? So that's the first point. Parents, <clears throat> get your kids to Jesus. Let me give you a second point. It's very similar to the first. First is parents, get your kids to Jesus. Here's the second one. Church, us, disciples. Church, get the kids to Jesus. Look at the parents. Now, let's look at the disciples. Join me there in verse 13. When you read it this time, look at the disciples and look what they did. What are they thinking? They were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. Quit that. Get those nasty kids out of here. Rebuked them. He's hollered at them. I mean, it's a terrible, it's like, what are y'all doing? Kids don't belong here. And when Jesus saw it, verse 14, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. So we get the scene now. The parents are trying to get their kids to Jesus. And the disciples of all people, they follow Jesus. They're the ones that rebuke the parents. Now let's pause here and give them the benefit of the doubt. Something that's rare these days, typically we automatically assume the worst. Let's not assume the worst. Let's assume the best. They are the disciples. Jesus has chosen them. They are following him. What could they have been thinking? And why were they keeping the kids from Jesus? Maybe, maybe they've been traveling. They know that Jesus needs some time by him. They think Jesus needs some time by himself. He's been walking along the road. He's having all of these discussions, arguments with the Pharisees. Let's just give him a break. Give him time to rest. Kids, get out of there. Leave him alone. Let him rest. Or, or maybe uh, they felt like Jesus needed his privacy. You know, he's always around a bunch of people. There's a throng around him, and he just needs a couple of minutes to breathe. So you kids, leave him alone. Or maybe the disciples have been with him. They have seen how his popularity has grown. They've watched as he has healed people. They know that this is not an ordinary man. This is somebody special. Maybe they have this, they think he's so important. Let's put him over here in the green room. Let's put him over here. I mean, he's like a celebrity. Put him over in the green, get him something good to drink and to eat and leave him there. Don't, when he passes by, don't look him in the face. 
Put him over there. Maybe they think that, maybe they have him in such high regard that they don't think the kids ought to be close to him. They're doing, maybe they're doing something, they feel like they are serving Jesus, but it turns out they are missing the whole point. Be careful now. Even, even solid motives can be behind colossal mistakes. Even good intentions, what is it saying? Even good intentions become a pavement for the highway to hell. Let's make, just as a church, just as individuals, disciples here at Hickory Grove, let's make sure that we don't put it over here in good motives. We have some good motives, some great motives that overrun the ministry of getting kids to Jesus. I'll give you a for instance. By God's grace, we have a school here at Hickory Grove that's a ministry of the church connected to, it does not stand alone, it is connected to the church. 700 students here, faculty, the leaders of that school believe in the gospel, they love the Bible, they not only preach and teach the gospel, the gospel invades everything they do. It's a genuinely, inherently Christian school, but it will run a facility in the ground. 700 kids walking through every single day. They show up around 7 o'clock, don't get out of here until about 3 o'clock. And this morning, I'm coming down the steps, and I stepped in some gum. I know some rotten kid spit on the floor. And I saw it there, and I, I thought, this is how dumb I am. I thought, is that gum? Let me just drag my foot across. Well, yeah, it's gum. Now it's on my shoe. And that's before I even got to church this morning. We have student ministry that is going to be put on CLT weekend. You saw the advertisement for it. Our student ministry down in the basement. Or our Awana ministry, where we're seeking to get the Bible into kids. It starts at 6.15 on Wednesday nights when the regular program is 6.30. Parents trying to get here fighting traffic. I mean, it, it's a whole lot of effort. Or standing here in this auditorium, oftentimes they'll be crying babies. Somebody said they've passed out balloons today in the children's ministry. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> For church. You got kids going on to camp. Resources and money being allocated for, is that worth it? Look, do you understand that the overwhelming majority of people that will ever come to Jesus Christ, put their faith in Jesus, do so before they turn 18? And if the kids don't, if they don't find love, if they don't find acceptance and truth here, they find it in a devil's world. Now, look at me. I'm not saying to condone sin. That is not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that we need to show them somehow that Jesus is better than the deranged, fleeting entertainment of a hellish culture. That's what we do. We point to the goodness of God and Jesus. So what do we do? We stay late. We stay late. We put up with headaches. We're flexible. Spend resources. You're patient. And we make sure, make a way that children and their families can get to Jesus. Otherwise, what is all this for? What is all, what do we protect, what is it for? Sunday rolls around, we call that the Lord's Day. We do that because on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. The day of resurrection is a Sunday. That's why we worship on Sunday. 
Worship is not a performance you go to. Worship is, is something you participate in. Where you come together, brothers and sisters of all walks of life from every part of this city and beyond, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we come together to sing, to be ministered to, to have our hearts knitted together, to be strengthened in the Lord, so that you walk in discouraged, you walk out with just enough to get you through again. And as we worship together, we learn things in our community groups, in Awana, in student ministry, call that discipleship, learning what the Bible teaches about how we live and who God is and why we need Christ, growing as a disciple. And as you grow as a disciple, you find out you ought to be looking out, doing something. After worship and discipleship, you learn that you want to be on mission, not just mission trips, which of course you want to do, but you want to be living on mission. And that mission is centered oftentimes around the children. You read this passage, you can't, you can't help but think, parents, get your kids to Jesus. When you think about the disciples and they get rebuked, you can't help but think, church, get the kids to Jesus. Why? I'll give you the third point. Here's why. Number three, <clears throat> because there is hope in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. There's hope for you in Jesus. Now, we've looked at the parents. We've looked at the disciples and the mistakes they made. Now, let's look at Jesus. There's several things to notice about what Jesus did before we get into the lesson that he taught. So, let's look at what he does first before we look at what he taught down in verse 15. What do you see in verse 13? What did he do? Look at verse 13. What does Jesus do? They bring the children to him that he might touch. That he might touch them. Maybe Jesus touched the children with healing, maybe with blessing, maybe with warmth, possibly with assurance. Give, give, giving confidence, giving strength, providing calming. That sort of nonverbal can mean so much. I mean, it's too bad we live in a world that has gotten so foul that we have forgotten the power of human touch. Connie and I will be sitting together somewhere, and she can sense that I am getting ready to say something that is a career-ending thing for me to say. <laughs> she doesn't have to speak. She reaches and just touches. It's a reminder. It's calming. They bring the children to Jesus, and the first thing, that just, there's just something assuring about that. He does more than that, though. <clears throat> he touches the children, and uh, you find him rebuking the disciples. So the parents of verse 13 bring the children to Jesus. The disciples do not like it. They rebuke the parents. And in verse 14, notice what happened. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Indignant. You see that word indignant? Not a circle of the word indignant. You're not going to see it anywhere else in the New Testament. So when you're trying to decipher words, what they might mean, you really look at their usages. So when you find a word in a certain verse, then this is when you might use a concordance. You go find it in the other verses to see how is it used in other places, and you're going to be out of luck here. 
You're not going to find it anywhere else. So you go outside of the New Testament into the culture of the day, the Greek literature of the day, and you bring the word back and you find out what does this word, we've never seen Jesus like this. Not mad or sad. What is he? Frustrated. That's the word. Indignant. Frustrated. He's irritated at the disciples. He's annoyed at them. Why? Because they are preventing children from coming to him. Okay, if Jesus is annoyed at that, flip that coin over, then the opposite must be true. If Jesus is annoyed when we keep children from him, then he must be pleased when we bring children to him. You want to please God? Bring the children to Jesus. Because his anger, and this is related to anger, his anger is reserved for anyone who will keep the kids from him. Remember what he said earlier? We are preaching uh, Mark chapter 9. What Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So, so Jesus rebukes the disciples and the opposite is he wants us to bring. This is Jesus teaching, bring them here. Now verse 16, <clears throat> join me in verse 16 before you look at it. There's something beautiful about verse 16. If you ever had a child die You've ever had a child die? You lost a child you loved? Or if an infant you had a baby die? Or, or if you've suffered a miscarriage? I want you to look at, I want you to circle verse 16. There is healing in verse 16. Look what happens. He took them, the children, in his arms. He blessed them, laying his hands on them. Look at it long now. What a beautiful picture of Jesus holding your child. <clears throat> what a beautiful picture of Jesus holding the children close. Does that, does that keep you up at night? If you feel like the pain's not going away, verse 16, for you, this is here for you today. Or, or maybe, maybe that's not your story. Maybe your story is the fact that you were that child that was, I mean, you just were unloved. You didn't have people taking you. you. You weren't cared for. Or maybe yours story is you were taken for granted or, or cold and possibly you were mistreated in some way or God forbid abused and, and it's distorted your mind as to what love is. Verse 16 is here for your soul. Run to the arms of Jesus. You'll find love there. Why? Because there is real hope in Jesus. That's what this story is about, getting you to him. Okay, okay, so we've, we've looked at the parents. Let's go through what we've learned so far. Looked at the parents, and the point is, parents, get your kids to Jesus. We've looked at the disciples. They will become the church. That's the point, church, get the kids to Jesus. Then we looked at Jesus and we've heard what he says and really we've just watched how, what he did. 
We see that there is hope in Jesus. Now for a moment, let's look at the children. Let's look at the children in the text and see if we can make a point. Number four, here's the teaching of Jesus. Take the right approach to Jesus. The right approach. Now, in this text, what Jesus does is he takes an event and turns it into a teaching moment. And he says, okay, this is really not all about the children. This is about saving faith. Look at the verses, verse 14 and 15. I'll show it to you. Verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the children come to me. I would circle that. Come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive, I would circle that, receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. A couple of things to see here. Just a few things to notice. First thing I want you to see is a parallel. There's a parallel in verse 14 and verse 15. There's a phrase, Jesus says, come to me in verse 14 and then verse 15, Receive the kingdom of God. They are parallels. Let the kids come to me and receive the kingdom of God. So you make the sentence like this. To come to Jesus is to become part of the kingdom of God. How do you come to Jesus? Let me see if I can explain the gospel. I tried to explain it with a great exchange. Let me try again with the categories. We say it like this. The Bible teaches that God created us, created us in his image. You have been created in the image of God. The image of God in you, however, has been disfigured by sin. That sin is a crime against the holiness of God. That crime deserves punishment. That means we're under condemnation. But that's not the end of the story. God is merciful. He has given us Jesus, who is the God-man. Jesus did what we were supposed to do. He kept the law in complete, unbroken fellowship with God. He did that as a human for us, as our representative. And then, as our representative or substitute, he goes to the cross. Why do we have the cross as a symbol? Because there, Jesus took the wrath of God that we deserve and gives us his righteousness that he earned. So the the promise of the gospel is, what you receive is that Christ did that for you. you. When you trust that he has done that for you, you receive the kingdom of God. There's another lesson here about believing. It's verse 15, down to verse 15. And in verse 15, you find Jesus talking about childlike faith. Now look, <clears throat> don't sentimentalize this verse. Let me read it to you. Verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now don't read that and think, oh, okay, like a child. That means with with wonder and awe and innocence. Look, that's not the Bible. That's Hallmark. It's a Hallmark channel. It's not what Jesus is saying. Be careful when you ascribe innocence to a child. Presbyterian Presbyterian ministers, before they would baptize an infant, oftentimes would say to the congregation, this child is a viper in a diaper. (laughs) 
because no one is innocent. We're not innocent. If you have a, an 18-month-old, a two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, you have a toddler, you know they are getting old enough to actually choose some really wrong things. You didn't have to teach that child how to sin. You didn't have to teach that child how to say, no, it's mine. Well, what does Jesus mean then when he says to have childlike faith? Children in that day and time would be insignificant. They would be weak and helpless, would be dependent. If you have a two-year-old, if you have a toddler now, that toddler is dependent. She might be able to walk, still dependent on you. The child is dependent without the ability to actually make a contribution. Some of you have some adult children like that. You get the point. So to have childlike faith is to be entirely dependent, devoid of a real agenda, total trust. What does the song say? Nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. What is saving faith? Saving faith is the significant, the insignificant, weak, dependent you putting your complete trust in the gift of God that's found in Jesus Christ and receiving his life for yours. Receiving his substitute on the cross for your deserved punishment. Receiving his perfection as your clothing, his power to save you. Jesus says, let the, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus is the one thing that matters. Like a child, won't you today come to Jesus? With your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord in a moment of prayer and commitment, I want to talk to many of you here. With your heads bowed, let's just talk about where you are. There are a lot of parents here or, or you have a sense of responsibility for a child. Maybe God has given you a heart foster, you're adopting, or you have nieces and nephews. You feel responsible. You have someone you need to pray for. We're going to sing, and as we do, I'll invite you to come and pray. Maybe you have children to pray for. Or maybe children, you're here and you've heard this, and you thought, I want to, I want to give my life to Jesus. I'll invite you to come. Talk to a pastor and pray. Maybe, maybe you came in today and really all you needed to hear was verse 16. You needed to receive the healing grace of verse 16 and you just want to come forward and pray and thank God. Maybe today you were just reminded of the love of God found in Jesus. As we sing our last song, if you'd like to come and pray, I invite you to do that. If you want to talk about what it means to give your life to Jesus, our pastors are here and we also will be glad to talk to you after church in the lobby. The Lord is good and he has given us Jesus.
Father, we thank you for that goodness found in Christ, for the joy of being in Christ, for the strength of being in Christ. We pray for that today. We pray you help us. We pray you find us faithful. We pray that you would use us for your own glory, the good of others. We pray that we would be a church that would never put barriers up, that we would be bringing the children to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please, as we sing together?